and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 72, where today I have guest James Donaldson, who is the CEO at BC Food and Beverage, along for a good chat. Now, in the same vein as last week's episode with Deborah Halback, James brings nearly 30 years of industry knowledge and experience to the helm of BC Food and Beverage. We discuss a lot throughout the conversation, including some common challenges that are being faced throughout the industry, upcoming member events, and some great insight into sales and leadership. Now, the BC Food and Beverage Association itself is a not-for-profit industry association representing micro, small, medium, and large food and beverage manufacturers in BC, whose membership represents approximately $7 billion in industry revenues. Since 2004, BC Food & Bev has helped shape, support and grow thousands of food and beverage businesses from startup to multinational companies. They have a very strong network, they have a values-based approach and unparalleled industry expertise which allows them to support their members at every stage and area of their business. So once again, a great episode for any food processor looking to get some great insights from another of our most well-regarded and experienced food industry representatives. Now, by the time this episode comes out, the CHFA trade show will be in full swing here in Vancouver. And today, which is Saturday the 23rd at 11.15am in the CHFA live podcast booth, I'll be having a really good chat with Richard Pollock, who is the president and CEO at Polling Labs, who actually appeared on episode 55 here on the podcast. So if you're around and you're walking the floor at 11.15am, make sure you swing by and say hello. I'd love to uh, shake your hand and get to know you, especially because this is the first opportunity that I will have had to have, you know, met any of you in the flesh. So yeah, definitely come on by. I'll also be walking the floor. So yeah, shoot me a message and I'd love to catch up. Uh, I think that's about it before we kick off into the episode. So enjoy. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Aiden. Mate, I've been looking forward to speak to you for some time now. Um, I was lucky enough to be introduced to you by Elisa, who is the COO in, uh, in, within your organization. And, uh, and I've been following you on LinkedIn for a while now. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's nice to hear. Hopefully, uh, hopefully my posts were somewhat entertaining for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, it's a great community on there. And, you know, I do get a lot of value of being and spending a lot of time on LinkedIn. And, uh, you know, it is a great way for everybody within the industry that we're, you know, deeply embedded into, you know, obviously uh, network and, you know, stay current on the industry and the trends and also, you know, collaborate on, uh, you know, trying to find solutions to a lot of the challenges that we've all been confronted with recently. Oh, it is for sure. And it's become an important communication vehicle, both for, for myself and my role um, and just, you know, somebody who's passionate about the industry, but also the association. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we tend to, to share that it has become LinkedIn's become one of our most popular communication mediums. And, and we tend to get a lot of uh, attraction and, and visibility and awareness to, to some of the things that we're doing and, yep. and some of the information that we try to share. So, yeah. Oh, well, that's awesome, mate. Um, when I was digging into your LinkedIn profile, I can see that you've got well over 30 years of industry knowledge and experience across, you know, multiple areas within the food industry, you know, whether it's sales and marketing or the operations, all of which, you know, leadership is sort of neatly tied up with a bow on top of all of that. Um, 
I guess we could start off. I always like to start off with where you're from, where did you grow up? And that's always a nice place to start. And we can sort of kick off into the conversation from there. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, thanks. And and yes, I've been in the industry for a really long time. That sounds so much nicer than just calling me old. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I I, I grew up in uh, in Winnipeg actually, and uh, I didn't I didn't actually I graduated from the University of Manitoba and, and uh, moved here in '91. So I've actually been uh, a British Columbian. You know, it was I was always sort of you know reached reset milestone where I'd lived in BC for half my life, and now it's yep. well over half my life, and it's it's been my home for a very long time. And of course. Yep. Have, have family and and uh, and uh, have a family of my own and, and we've grown roots here so it's it's home mm. yeah I hear it's beautiful here on the west coast what was it like growing up out in Winnipeg cold winters I'd imagine yeah it's funny when you when you born and raised in Winnipeg you don't always think about the cold uh, mm. and then you know and you always hear the jokes about the cold and and uh, but you know it's just it was just life growing up you know you still did stuff in the winter and yeah you know being minus 20 it didn't stop us from you know going tobogganing and cross-country skiing and all those sort of winter activities because you know it's, winters last a long time as well so yeah uh, you know and of course snow days meant you physically couldn't open the doors to the school it didn't mean there was two inches of uh, snow in the parking lot so <laughs> like there is um, here it shuts down all of the infrastructure doesn't it yeah yeah it still boggles my mind here actually that's kind of one of the one of the funny things that you see but uh, of course everyone there has winter tires and stuff yeah. too so it's, it's a little bit different because we you know you're trained to expect snow when you grow up in Winnipeg so yeah yeah, um, exactly. yeah no it was it was a it was a great place to grow up and and, uh, you know, Winnipeg has a reputation for the people being friendly. Mm. Um, and I hope, hope people feel that way about me too. But uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. You can usually sort of tell when you meet people from Winnipeg, they usually kind of, you know, go that extra mile or, or, you know, go out of their way to help and things like that. So it's, it was, yeah. it's always a source of pride for me. And I know people, people joke about Winnipeg and, you know, I've heard people say, you know, that, that kind of the running joke is it's a great place to be from. But, you know, even though they sort of talk about that from the cold and the mosquitoes, it, it really was a great place to be from. And, and they, it really was really key, key to my formative years. So. Yeah. It's funny. Like I've spoken to, you know, people from all over the country and I come from a small country town myself back in Australia. And, you know, we all try to sort of escape where we come from at a certain age, but then at some stage in our lives, we tend to gravitate back to where we've come from. So do you sort of find yourself, you know, thinking about the days or, you know, getting back there at some stage in the future or you're deeply embedded here? Yeah, it's it's a, yeah, interesting question. I, I I never thought about sort of going back. It, Winnipeg's one of those interesting cities where it's it's that size where I left just because I wanted to try something new and I wanted yep. a, just something new for my life. Um, yep. And that was really I didn't have a really a plan when I moved out here. I really only knew my sister and didn't didn't know a soul. But yep. said, let's let's try something different and. And, uh, and that's really kind of what motivated me. My, my parents even moved here afterwards, but, you know, I'd say, um, <clears throat> it's a size where, you know, even when I look at, uh, go on Facebook and look at the people that I, you know, went to high school with and everything, it's mm. a lot of people kind of end up migrating to other areas. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of about the idea of, of, you know, you go back home and it's never going to feel like it did before. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, it's, it's nice when I get the opportunity to go back and, you know, see friends and, uh, things like that, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel the same as it did back then, you know, when I was younger you go to school and you see your friends every yep. day and yep. you know and it's uh so it's 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 changed a bit so no i haven't really thought about uh, sort of going home from that perspective because it's yep. it's never going to be the same as what you remembered it and for me that was you know over 30 years ago yeah now, yeah so. well there's been a lot of change mate and that sort of ties in nicely to your current position as the ceo of the bc food and beverage association you know, and um, obviously in the intro of the podcast, I gave a little bit of insight for everybody as to sort of what the association is and so on, but you're coming up eight years in the, uh, mm -hmm. within the organization. And I can imagine over the last couple of years, there's probably been more change, you know, within the last two years for us all to be confronted with than the cumulative total of the eight. Would you agree with that? 
Oh yeah, that's probably a, a probably a dramatic understatement. Actually, mm. um, you know, we've uh, we, we've we've changed and evolved pretty significantly over the eight years, and we're and we're actually a fairly young organization. I mean, the, yes. you know, we just like the company, you know, the organization, the association just started in uh, two thousand and four, mm-hmm. um, and it rolled along. And and quite often, nonprofits when they start off, they're you know they've they've got a they don't have a lot of resources, and they have to be very very narrow bandwidth and focused. And and uh, you know, so we've tried to grow and evolve and. It's, it's tricky because our members are very diverse mm. and and the cool thing about the industry in BC is that they're you know they're spread out all over the place the the diversity of products the diversity of, of ownership the diversity of, of you know cultural and gender it's it's it's, it's quite a, an interesting kaleidoscope to kind of make up the industry as a whole mm. uh, but because of that their needs are quite varied so yeah. you know it's been it's been uh, always trying to evolve and understand those needs and try and kind of we, we can't do everything we can't be all things to all people but you know what are those key uh, things you know we always kind of talk internally about you know what what keeps people up at night and mm. try and build our content and our resources and our events around trying to address those because it's yeah. the most efficient way of trying to provide that support uh from so you know i've got a small passionate team but you know we all have we all have lives we all need to go home right so we you know you could work 24 hours a day sometimes but yeah. just to try and support people but um yeah and then of course nothing really prepared us for um for the last two years i mean we had to we've always evolved but this was almost a complete about face like we used to do a lot of live events and we used to you know what we really love what we're really passionate about is kind of building community and Mm -hmm. and it's hard to do uh two-dimensionally or one-dimensionally over the the uh over over computer screens but just the needs change so fundamentally Mm -hmm. you know all of a sudden we we have we get you know hundreds of requests about hundreds of different things every week and we were getting thousands of requests for one thing all of a sudden yeah and and it really nothing else mattered other than understanding um what was happening how companies were supposed to protect their employees you know how to keep the food supply going frankly yeah uh many people probably don't remember this because you know let's face it march 2020 feels like about a million years ago honestly it does doesn't it yeah but you know step one for us was um the food industry wasn't even considered an essential service and you know and and of course early on you know of course we all remember the stories of the toilet paper being off the shelves Mm -hmm. but within a couple of weeks there was empty store shelves and we hadn't experienced that since you know probably our grandparents in the great depression or probably your great grandparents but but you had to go back a long long way before you saw empty shelves and i think it was a bit of a shock to the system not just to industry because you know we we most people in the industry we just kind of think about like we just keep it moving along you know and, mm-hmm. and we do what we do but externally in sort of the consumer environment it was a bit of an eye-opener but where does our food come from what mm-hmm. where how come the food stopped coming under not not really wrapping around these people kind of take food for granted i guess in some ways absolutely which which is a bit of a badge of honor in a way the fact that we're kind of steady and reliable and we're always there but all, all of a sudden when it's not it really opens eyes and and we kind of saw that too a degree of course that I've, I've never seen before in, in in my 30 years in the industry and and uh, so for us to have to shift pretty dramatically um it, w- it was tough but then it wasn't just that one shift it was we had to change the way we did things we had to we had to change the way we delivered content and and programs and we're having to help people in a much different way and we've always had a, a core focus around advocacy that's been an important part of what we did but i'd say which which essentially rests on on my plate that's sort of my one of my primary responsibilities but it, it sort of went from being 10 to 15 percent of what i do to 
105% of what I do. And even now it's settled, it's still such a big chunk because it's, there's so many other triggers around. We've re we recognized how fragile the value chain is yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and how, and how disruptive it is. And now the other thing we're realizing and, and dealing with is the fact that all those although other costs of the supply chain have increased, but our members really don't have that ability to pass those costs on. Mm. So now they're kind of, you know, sort of, they're, they're sort of visualized like the trash compactor in Star Wars and, yep. you know, where the margins are just getting, getting thinner. Yeah. Yeah. And they're getting squeezed from both sides. And like those things matter because if we don't deal with it now, like 10 years from now, our industry will look fundamentally different because the smaller yep. businesses won't be able to su survive. So, yep. you know, those, those, those things we have no choice but to take on and they're not, they don't become about membership or anything else. It becomes, we don't figure out some of these things yep. and figure out, challenges around labor and stuff like if, if we don't actually start to really come up with practical solutions that are really going to help people around competitiveness and building capacity, then, then, you know, our industry won't look anywhere near what it does now. And, and that's, that's fearful for me because I love, I love our industry right now, but it's yeah. not an easy industry to be in. Right. I always no. kind of joke that it's not for the faint of heart. And, and, uh, and so we've just seen a sort of a compounding and an acceleration of some of the challenges that we've been dealing with for years. Yeah. And now it's just kind of, mashed into this really short uh, time frame, which has really just put a lot of more urgency on it. Mm, yeah, absolutely right. You know, the hospitality industry and the food industry is quite possibly one of the most emotionally and physically draining industries to be a part of. I grew up yeah. in it. My parents had a, uh, a fast food outlet in a shopping mall. Uh, that I grew up in from the age of 12. So I have seen the emotional roller coaster that being in the oh, business yeah. can, you know, provide a business owner and operator. And it's funny that you bring up the, um, you know, the thin margins and the pressure coming from both ends for an operator right now, because I've had this conversation with Aaron Skelton from the CHFA, um, Andrea Gray Grant um, from Good to Grow, and also uh, most recently, Deborah Hellback. Um, who all three of them are very passionate about food security and supply chain. And, you know, obviously, you know, you just suggested that passing on, you know, price increases to retail banners is a very hard thing to do at the moment. And, um, you know, it is a continual conversation with a lot of the clients that I'm having with as well. So, you know, where do you sort of see all of this washing out? Yeah, well, it's an interesting time and it's, it's a it's a pretty complex, uh, it's a, a succinct question, but the answer is yeah. a, a bit trickier. I, yeah. I sort of, you know, maybe break that into pieces a little bit. Mm. One of the real challenges with, you know, any, you've got several channels, obviously you have the food service channel and, and you've got retail and, and, uh, and of course we've seen e-commerce grow. So, so a couple of things, one, most, most companies, when they try and scale up, you know, they really want to have a retail presence, especially, you know, most of them are entrepreneurs. They're passionate. Yeah. They create their brand. They're excited about, it, they want people to see it. Um, so, so retail, uh, the pro the challenges with the retail environment in Canada is that the customers are either very, very small or they're very, very big. And there's mm -hmm. really not a lot in between. Yeah. So that's where, even when you're scaling up, you know, we always talk about scaling up and, you know, you always laugh when you see sort of people draw growth curves in PowerPoint. Well, like it's, it's usually not a like this, curve. isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> and, and those steps aren't even, and some of them are more like cliffs. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest. Um, so, so that puts a tremendous amount of power on those larger retailers wow. and, and uh, you know, and we've even seen some of the biggest companies, uh, processors in Canada, sort of lock horns with some of them, and, and mm -hmm. you know because they're they're still small, and and we don't have any big companies in BC. You know, it's funny mm -hmm. like we always we have our scale of large companies and and small companies in BC, but but even the big ones in the you know on the on the national stage and more so on the global stage, mm -hmm. right? like we don't have any big companies mm -hmm. in, in BC. Yeah. So you know we always need to be mindful of that, and and it's really hard for them to have leverage because at the end of the day, if you have 
you know, there's a few thousand processors just in BC. So you look at that, there's, you know, 30 or 40,000 across Canada. Yeah. Well, you know, that also allows those big retailers to be as selective as they want to be. So mm -hmm. if somebody wants to do a price increase, they'll go somebody somewhere else. So it's, it's, it, it makes it very, very challenging. We've been working with a number of other industry groups to try and create a, a code of conduct just to try and level the playing field and make sure that there's some mechanisms for people to be heard. Because it's not just about not being able to pass on costs. It's about, um, you know, some of the fees that end up getting charged back to them. And mm. so now it's, you know, because now retailers are starting to um, essentially take take fees from, from companies and use them for their own development. You know, Hey, we're building an e-commerce platform, you, you know, you're paying for it. Yeah. So, so while in the long run, those are fine when your margins are already shrinking and your ingredient costs are going up and your packaging costs are going up and your mm -hmm. freight's going up and you can't pass any of those things on, um, you know, it makes it extremely challenging. And then, um, and then the other layer to that though, that, that a lot of people don't think about is, you know, people are very conscious of food pricing going up because it's, you know, they, they buy it several times a week. Mm -hmm. you, know, you only buy a car once every, you know, three, four or five years, you're, you're buying food, you know, five or six days a week. So yeah. it's very visible when you see it. Um, and it's always a bit of a shock to the system, but I would suggest that probably some of the inflationary costs our, our members have had to deal with in the last couple of years in particular, um, you know, the, some of the re retailers have essentially present, prevented some of the, the, that, those true cost increases to be mm. passed on. So I, I would suggest that, you know, it, without those sort of barriers of the food, you know, the food, um, the food costs and food, uh, the, the food increases would actually be even higher yeah. uh, than what we've been experiencing. So depends on how you look at it. If you look at it from a consumer's perspective, they're, you know, they'll want the prices to be low as possible, but mm -hmm. that starts to put uh, smaller businesses out of, out of, out of business because they can't make enough money just to, to keep their business going. And then all of a sudden yeah. selection starts to drop. And so, so it kind of depends on whether you want to look at it, but so few consumers really understand that dynamic. They think, well, okay, well, low, low food prices are great. You know, uh, the big retailers are sort of protecting our interests. Well, they are, but they're also potentially putting a lot of small businesses, you know, um, put out, out of business. So, mm -hmm. um, so we, we really, it's, it's about finding that balance um, where both can kind of thrive essentially and, and kind of create that, um, create that two-way dialogue because it, it's really just not happening right now. Mm. Um, what I'll say though, too, is, is, you know, the last couple of years, um, uh, I, I know the word resilience always gets thrown, thrown around a lot when we talk about the industry and it's, it's fair because it, it's, it's a good word and, and it really does reflect how, how, uh, you know, our members have responded to some of these challenges, but, you know, it's, um, it's been one of those, uh, incredible experiences for them where they, they just find a way. And what we've seen, you know, e-commerce, for example, was already a, um, it was already growing in popularity and it has been for years and will continue to do, but the acceleration that we saw where companies were forced to find new channels because mm -hmm. either they're, their supply was disrupted or they couldn't deal with costs or they couldn't make money selling through their traditional channels or, you know, companies selling to, um, you know, to cruise ships and airlines and, yep. and things like that, their business took a huge hit. So mm -hmm. um, just finding a creative way to shift gears and, and try and um, have a relationship directly with consumers. We saw that in the last couple of years to a degree we've never seen before and it's created opportunities as well. So some businesses are focusing their, you know, most of their resources around that, the margins are higher, they have better control. And like I said, they've got that direct interaction with the, with their end user, which is yep. really important because, 
you know, you get that feedback immediately and you're a small business and you can also respond quite quickly. So, so we kind of start to see some of those interesting dynamics shift mm. when, when something extreme happens, you start to see uh, people adapt and, and find a different way forward. So, so now I think going forward, I think you'll see that it's, you know, people won't necessarily just think about retail and food service. They'll be looking at alternate ways of getting their product to market. Um, and certainly, you know, small companies, farmer, farmers markets are there, but now we can, you know, e-commerce, almost virtual farmers markets, mm. different digital platforms and e-platforms, they can partner with people so they can get your, their, uh, their products visible, um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways that, that they really wouldn't have thought of or couldn't afford before. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's interesting to, to see the, uh, the embracing of technology and how they use that to, to sort of find a new way of doing things. Yeah, I agree. That's probably been the most exciting part, you know, um, you know, being somewhat of a bystander, obviously working in the packaging industry, but having these conversations with a lot of my clients as well, who are in the, you know, in the process of, you know, shifting gears and uh, trying to re- uh, generate revenue from alternative streams. And I guess a great example of that is a restaurant, you know, like you suggested for the first time, putting soup in a pouch and getting it out onto the retail shelf or, you know, creating pre-prepared meals and meal kits and, um, you know, those alternative things. And I think that because of the investment that they're putting into it now, they're looking at it as it as a channel that's not going to go away. If anything, it's going to something that's going to keep on growing for them. You know, I think in the early days, they were just trying to sort of figure out a solution to help them keep their staff employed and to keep the doors open. But then because of the upfront investment in a lot of cases and the grants that were available to build the online, um, you know, and technology and infrastructure to support it all, they're like, hey, let's just double down on this and let's just keep it going, which is really, really cool for the end user as well, you know, because it creates more of an opportunity for us all to get great food and great products into our hands as well that actually would never have been there in the first place. Um, That's very true. Very true. Yeah. Now, when I look at your website and I look at the vision and the purpose and the mandate of your association, it's very, very clear and it makes it very legible for everybody who comes onto your website to know exactly what you do. So the vision is to ensure a thriving world-class food and business uh, beverage manufacturing industry for BC. The purpose is to be a catalyst of success for our members and the food and beverage industry in BC. And the mandate is to help you grow. So when I dug into that, I saw that you've got quite a few events, you've got online webinars and series and, you know, one-on-one meetings when ask an expert, there's a lot of opportunity for people to engage with your association. And I'd love to sort of dig into that to you because there's also the Food Pro Thrive Conference that's coming up and that looks like an amazing event to come along to, like the quality of the speakers that you've got coming along. You guys must be really proud with who you managed to attract to that event. Yeah, we're really excited. Of course, we were actually supposed to have that event in, in January. And then when right. we started to see the, the the cases sort of skyrocket, we had to make a call a bit early. We, we didn't want to sort of be doing that last minute scramble. Frankly, we had had two years of that. Yeah. Um, and, and historically, we'd actually had Food Pro in June. Okay. So it was kind of funny that we had made a conscious decision to have it at a different time of year. And then we ended up having it right Keep around the same back. time we yeah. always did. <laughs> um, but the format is very different. You know, it's, okay. um, historically, we've always had a bit of a trade show. We've brought in buyers. We've, we've partnered with um with with different ministries you know to bring in international buyers uh, a couple mm-hmm. of years ago we actually did one with buyers across the country and local buyers um and uh but we were just finding you know it's really hard to to get buyers engaged and to come to smaller trade shows you know they, they're also very busy so they'll want to go you know expo west is, yeah. is such a big show they'll they'll go to one or two shows and kind of uh, uh you know to sort of not worry about the rest so we were just finding you know we always look backwards about what's going to add the most value for members mm-hmm. and we just felt like the format wasn't offering that so right. we said let's 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 recognize that. And then let's, let's look at what we need. And with just such a long layoff and not being able to have, um, 
you know, have live events or anything. We really wanted to emphasize sort of rebuilding that sense of community. And, and uh, so, so um, you know, throughout 2022, we've actually got a number of different events, but some of them aren't always on. I think people tend to think about our events as delivering content, you know, mm -hmm. like you tune into this webinar and learn about exporting to, you know, the Pacific Northwest, but, but we're really wanting to understanding that value of community and, and, you know, we've experienced it over the years. We'll have a little networking thing before our dinner and that, you know, with that buzz and the energy that you feel like there's no substitute for, because people yeah. love talking about their businesses. They love talking to other people about their businesses. Mm -hmm. So we said, well, let's create more of that. And so when we were thinking about the format uh, for, uh, for food pro, we said, let's bring in some people to really build inspiration and create lots of time with breaks for, you know, connect for people to connect with each other, just because it'll have been so long. I mean, the people have been seeing each other for the first time or people they've had relationships with for two and a half years and they've never actually met in person. They're online also. relationships. I know. I found Absolutely. That too. And yeah. I, even last week, you know, I was in Victoria with, with my team and, and we had a meetup in, in, in Vancouver Island. And it was lots of people that I've talked to on a weekly and monthly basis for a couple of years. And I'm actually meeting them face to face for the first yeah. time. So I, you know, we think there's going to be some magic in that. Yeah. Um, but to me, you know, that's probably my favorite part of my job when you actually get passionate people together talking about an industry that they love. It's just, you know, you can feed off that energy. And, mm. and frankly, I need that to be effective. And mm -hmm. in the last couple of years, that's been a missing component for us. And the last thing we'd ever want to do is kind of lose connectivity with our membership. I think that's, that's, that's going to be always the most important thing that's really kind of baked into our DNA. Um, and, and that's kind of what we're passionate about is helping them and, 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 and connecting people. Cause that's, you know, also we've got a massive network that we can reach into mm. and what we can do that nobody else can do is we can find, we can, we connect our members who need help with people that can provide it. And that's, that's not awesome. always going to be us, but we've got someone in our network to do that. Yeah. So rather than just having this sort of really content heavy, sort of informative day of people talking about all the different functional topics that we already have other smaller regional events to do. Let's bring in some people that can really focus on inspiration and share mm -hmm. their own journey and their own stories so that other people can learn from it. So it's really heavily focused on entrepreneurs and we wanted to a blend of different voices. So we brought mm -hmm. in some great people from out of province and we've got some amazing leaders and, and colleagues and friends who are, you know, from BC who are going to be speaking as well. And then we thought, you know, everyone loves hearing it's funny. I know, uh, uh, Sumner and Elisa in the office, they're, they're, they're huge, huge fans of Arlene Dickinson. So they, they're, they're extremely energetic and excited about meeting them. So, yeah. um, meeting her and, and she'll be great as well. So she's just sort of the, the cherry on top, uh, of, of a great, great lineup of, uh, uh, of the day. And so it's new for us. A lot of our programming is new because we've also kind of looked at this as an opportunity to kind of reinvent ourselves and, yeah. and sort of, you know, break, break down our offering, offering and, and package them. And there's a couple of components to that too. You know, it's, um, you know, we want to be a bit more targeted. Um, I think historically we've, as we grow as an organization, we've tried to sort of a lot of our events have sort of been, I guess, for lack of a better term, one size fits all, mm -hmm. yeah. where we try to provide some content for everybody. But as I mentioned earlier, our members are diverse, their needs are, are different. So we're also mm -hmm. trying to be a little bit more targeted and focused so that the content is more relative to the size of business or, or where they are in their business cycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so we sort of categorize those under sort of our three main buckets are our grow, lead, and and uh, our grow, connect, and lead are our three sort of main themes where yes. we kind of package most of our offering around it. Yeah. Because those are the those are the things that our members are telling us they care about. So yeah. we try to so you know internally we say you know these different things can't fit in this box and we really have to question why we're doing it. So we're really yeah. excited about what we offer and and uh, and I think this event fits right into it because there's 
a lot of inspiration and there's mm. a lot of, uh, it, it kind of touches all three, actually, um, you know, all three of those sort of components all wrapped in under food pro. So it's, uh, it's going to be a fun day. And we we're obviously really disappointed when we had to move it from January to yeah. June, but we're, we're back at it again. Yesterday we were, we were gearing up and had a, a meeting to sort of make sure it's kind of funny when you delay an event for six months, it's easy to kind of put it in the background for a few months and also we're like oh, refresh we yourself really gotta, yeah. yeah unfortunately i've got an amazing team and, and yeah. they're they love the they were really excited about the event because they really created it like the team yeah. kind of came together and said what do we how do we want to reimagine this and make yeah, it better cool. and uh and then they came up with this this sort of tedx sort of inspired theme yep. and yeah and uh based on their feedback we've gotten from sponsors and from people you know registered attendees and even the speakers like i, I really think this is something i think we're on to something that we can build on that's going to be amazing i do too and you know i got really excited because and I'll put the link down in the show notes for everybody to click on Thank through you. to your website and check it out. But I'm just going to list a couple of the speakers that sort of drew my attention. So obviously there's Arlene Dickinson from District Ventures Capital of um, of Shark Tank, or is it Dragon's Den here in Canada? Dragon's Den? Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den fame. Yep. And I've got a couple of uh, guests that I had on the show that have engaged in her program out east, and they've said nothing but great things. Uh, you've got Jake Carls from Midday Squares, who everybody on LinkedIn knows and is an absolute character, and I, uh, I would love to interview him at some stage in the future. Mike Fatter from Fatter Family Ventures and uh, Manitoba Harvest fame. You know, he's invested in quite a few of the, uh, the um, guests that I've had on this show, like Nuts for Cheese, who I just had on. Um, Brodo, you know, is very, very much up there. I don't think he's invested in Brodo, but he definitely speaks to Erica a lot and she has nothing but yeah. great things to say because he's a mentor for her. Midday Squares, Soul Cuisine, you know, there's a lot there in Mike Fatter and I'm sure he's going to have nothing but great things to discuss. Um, Rotana Stevens, they're based just down the road at Nature's Path and their business is absolutely booming right now for all of the obvious reasons, but they put a lot back into the community and, you know, they're very, very well known for that. Yeah, that's for sure. Charles Chang of Vega fame, you know, what a great guy to have come on. I mean, built a business from nothing and what sold it for some ridiculous sum like 500 mil or something like that. Something, I think 500 was, million US, yeah, I believe it was. Yeah, in, Insane. Yeah. So, you know, what a great story there. Laurie Joyce from Better With Ice Cream. I've had her on the show twice and Jasmine Byrne from Big Mountain Foods on episode 62. Um, all great speakers, all have amazing insights and stories to tell. So yeah, I recommend for anybody interested to head along down into the show notes, click on the link and yeah, seriously think about this um, Food Pro Thrive, Thrive Conference because I think that there'll be nothing for, you know, benefits for heading along for the day. Yeah. And I, and it's, it's funny that you brought that up because it was just yesterday, um, you know, we were looking at the, because we had pretty much sold out the event prior to the January date, but right. we actually are, will be opening up uh, a few more tickets. So for anybody that procrastinated too much and missed out, uh, there will be an opportunity to, uh, um, to, to scoop some up uh, in the next little bit here when we're, uh, we'll, we'll reopen registration. I, I don't have a date on that yet, but it'll be, it'll be very soon. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, you know, you were just suggesting that, you know, one of the main things that you value about your association is the fact that, you know, people can engage in a network of like-minded people, business owners, operators, and they can also reach out for help as well. And, you know, when I think back on my parents that had their business at times, I really feel as if the missing piece for them was a network that was around them. You know, we just suggested that we're probably coming out of one of the hardest periods in recent history, you know, for an owner and an operator in our field. And uh, at times I can imagine it would have felt very, very lonely, but to be a part of an association like the BC Food and Beverage Association would have been nothing but beneficial. So, you know, I really do encourage people to reach out and ask for help if they are having those sleepless nights, because there are a lot of people that have been in your shoes 
that have, uh, you know, managed to find a way through it that would be more than willing to sit down and have a coffee and answer your questions if you come to them with a, a really solid list. So, yeah, I encourage that too. Yeah, no, thank you. And and it's true, you know, what I think the, because the, I, I was, you know, I, was, I worked in the private sector for sort of big companies and small for mm-hmm. many years, and I consulted for several years before moving into this role. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it just felt like every time I was, I was um, dealing with a smaller business, you know, the, the first sort of characteristic that you'd notice is that a lot of them feel like um, they have to kind of go it alone. They mm-hmm. have to figure it all out for themselves. And what you yep. see is so many people kind of re- making the same mistakes that they could have avoided, yep. you know? Yeah. And some, to a certain degree, you have to make your own mistakes yeah. and you have to learn from them. And that's kind of how you build. And it's that sort of that, you know, the, bones might break, but then they heal and they make you stronger. And, yep. and, uh, and like, you know, as I said earlier, it's industry is not always for the faint of heart and there's, but there's enough challenges that everyone's going to have to deal with already. Mm. Um, you know, with like things like affordable commercial space and things like that. Like we, I think we do a lot to help our members, but our, our, <laughs> our powers though, expensive, extensive are limited to a certain degree. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we can't solve labor problems in the short term. We can't mm. solve um, you know, cost of doing business in the short term. So, uh, so those are already big enough challenges for yeah. some of those other things, sort of finding, finding the right person who can help them with a specific problem. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, you know, we take a lot of pride in helping that and hope that we can avoid a lot of mistakes and, and, and also costs because smaller businesses don't have the luxury of making mistakes two or three times by, you know, hiring the wrong you. person yeah. or signing with the wrong broker and those sorts of things that they, mm-hmm. those, they, they don't, uh, you know, they always sort of talk about uh, what's the, the old term, death by a thousand cuts. Yes. Um, but when you're a small business, you don't even have the luxury of a thousand Can, cuts. You two cuts have, and you're done. Yeah, yeah. two <laughs> cuts, maybe maybe three. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah so, so, so to the extent we can reduce those, it's uh, pretty important, yeah. I think. So Very good. Mate, like we suggested earlier on, you've been in the industry for over 30 years and it looks like you got your start as a sales manager and category manager at Diego back in 93. So yeah, Diageo. Actually. Diageo. All right, beautiful. Yeah. I can edit that. <laughs> so what was it that you attracted you to the industry and what keeps you in it today? Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I, I, I get asked that a, a quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I never really thought of myself as a food industry sort of person mm-hmm. until I actually left the food industry after yeah. being in it for many years. Yeah. And, you know, I was, uh, my first job was actually selling fax machines, which was not mm. a, a job that was, <laughs> I mean, a lot of people, probably people listening don't even know what fax machines are or how they work. And, and I was selling them, um, on commission and I, I learned a ton of lessons from that. Though. Absolutely. You know, you, yeah. you learn a lot of lessons from, from, from sort of commission sales. But um, yeah, so, so when I took the job, I just sort of wanted something that was, you know, slightly bigger organization and sort of a more proven product and, and, uh, and you know, just happened to, to land at Ted Diageo mm. and was there for five years. I sort of started as a sales rep and then I sort of moved into a category. I'm pretty analytical. Mm. Uh, most of my staff will probably tell you that I'm too analytical, but I, <laughs> I uh, yeah, so, so they sort of moved into that kind of category role um, looking at, you know space to sales ratios and things like that. So a lot of my work was working with the, the BC liquor board, yeah. uh, you know, to do that sort of thing. And then, uh, yeah. And actually I was with them before they became Diageo. And right. then when they merged, they actually wanted me to move to Toronto to essentially take the same role, but I was yeah. kind of tired of doing that. And I didn't want to, I was already kind of starting to grow roots here in BC. Yeah. And that's actually when I left and, and went to Eve's Veggie Cuisine and mm. then to BC Hothouse and then to Maple Leaf. Um, so, so it was several years that it just sort of kind of happened by accident. It wasn't really by design. It was more just, but the, the, the opportunity was interesting. When I look back on it, I think the fact that it was in the food space is what made it exciting. I just yeah. didn't think about it at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it was years later, uh, around 2010, I briefly left the food industry and it was really then it was that epiphany hit me. I thought, 
what am I missing here? I feel, I just felt sort of like, you know, you built this, uh, you build this large network yeah. and you build all these meaningful connections with people that all think the same way. And you knew who all the customers were and, you know, in Canada and the U S and uh, travel, I was traveling abroad. I was in, you know, uh, markets in Asia and in Europe. So I was traveling all over the world. So I built this huge network and then you leave the industry and it's like, it, it doesn't mean you missed anything it anymore. And you yeah. feel like you're starting all over again. And I was yep. like, well, geez, I'm way too old to be starting over again. Uh, <laughs> and then, I, but I didn't realize how much I'd miss it. I didn't realize how passionate I was about the specifically about the food industry until yep. I left it. Yeah. And then when I sort of said, okay, well, I, I need to find a way back in. And, and that's when I started consulting and everything. Yeah. You know, those senior roles don't grow on trees either. Because no, I, you see most of those, uh, most of the businesses, you know, the, the owner, the CEO is the owner. Yeah. So uh, they're the one and the same. So those opportunities grow, don't grow on trees. So I decided to sort of create my own opportunity by uh, consulting and focusing primarily in, in the food space um, and did that for several years, which actually led to a lot of the connections, which led to them approaching me about this role in yeah. 2014. So. And here we are. So, we in, are. Yeah. yeah, like throughout that time, you know, having held positions like, you know, sales, marketing operations and leadership roles and so on, what would you consider the top three critical skills that are required to succeed in this space would be? Well, um, I don't know if it's specific to the state, uh, to the space or, or mm. the industry, but, you know, I think being, I think the most important thing for me personally is, you know, you've got to be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. You've got to believe in what you're doing. You've got to, um, I, I personally, I need to be passionate about what I do. And, and I've having left the industry, I was in a role where I wasn't passionate about anything that we did. And yeah. I couldn't believe how hard it was to get to work in the day and, 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 you know, looking at the clock, uh, when it's time to go home, like I, I hated that feeling. And honestly, you know, I can't remember the last time I, I did do that other than, you know, I've got dinner plans and my wife's yelling at me or something because I'm late, but, but, but by and large, you know, I think, but, but by being true to yourself, knowing what you, knowing what you love and, and pursuing that, um, I, I think for me, I couldn't be great at anything unless I really had that conviction. I, you can't, you can't fake it. Um, you mm. can't slide into it all. So even if you're an entrepreneur to start a business and your goal is to get rich, I mean, you still have to be passionate about the path to get there. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, you, cause you can't fake it because it, authenticity is so important and people see through that. And when they see through that, then you lose credibility. And if you're build, trying to build a brand and you don't have credibility, you'll never ever be You've successful. Got so yeah. Yeah. So to me, you know, it's sort of, I guess those are interrelated, but so I, th I think that the passion piece and that, that, but being, it really starts with being true to yourself and, and knowing who you are and being comfortable in your own skin and uh you know and, and focusing on the stuff that you're good at and, and mm -hmm. then as you build a team then you also have to recognize that you can't do it all and uh and and that you have to bring in people with complementary strengths and skills and so that allow you to focus on what what make you you right mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um where do you rank sales the skills the the skill of being able to sell well, that is funny. Um, you know, it's, it's an incredibly, I think people, when they hear that, they think of it as a functional responsibility or functional mm. topic. But I think what has made me effective historically um, in my career has been my ability to build consensus with other groups. So, yeah. you know, you work for a large company like Maple Leaf Foods, you can be good at sales, but if you can't convince, you know, product development and operations and finance to, you know, invest in a new product that's going to take time and effort uh, away and, and potentially be a, a diversion of sort of what you focus at. But, mm. 
you know, but so you to build, so you have to build that alignment between other functions. Mm -hmm. uh, even, even um, I, what always drove me crazy was seeing the, the misalignment sometimes and almost the tension between marketing and sales. Yeah. Like they should be two sides of the same coin. They but a are, lot of yeah, they're holding they, they're hands at each they? other's throats, right? Yeah. Like marketing doesn't listen and the sales guys just want to sell whatever, mm -hmm. you know, will, will, was easiest. And there's always those sort of accusations back and forth. And the reality is they're both wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not sales responsibility. Like marketing has that responsibility to sell the sales group on what it is that they're doing and why. And, you know, it's also if they're trying to develop new products or new markets or new packaging, then they got to work and work in alignment with operations and with finance, you know, they have to be able to get that buy-in. Yeah. So it's, it, you're, you're, so if you're doing your job well, no matter what function you're in, you're, you're selling because you're selling to other people. And sometimes you even have to sell to your own team of what you're I'm doing. I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly where I sit. Like that's my position, wherever you are, you're selling, you're selling ideas, you know, it's uh Yourself it is, too. Exactly. It's the most critical component of success in business, in my opinion. And yeah, it's really cool that you said that. Yeah, no, and I, and it, but I, I believe it. And I, having been in sales, um, you know, but then and it kind of evolved into marketing and general management mm. and, you know, being involved in all those other functions, that's where I kind of found what I really enjoyed is trying to, you know, bring different people together and bring alignment and build consensus with different people with different ideas and, mm -hmm. and bring it together because, um, you know, and, and that's, especially important in the, the job that I do now, because our industry is so diverse, you know, we can't, we can't be all things to all people, we can't be everything to everyone, we can't be an expert in every subcategory that yeah. our members make, but, yeah. you know, they all have challenges, and they all have things that keep them up at night. But if you really are disciplined and group them together, it's like, well, you know, most no matter what you make, you're, they're 80% the same, and they're 20% unique. Yeah. So, you know, let them focus on that 20%. And yeah. like, groups like ours can help them with the other 80%, because they're not the only people who are going through it. Yeah, and like that's every, a really cool everyone has it. issues with what. Like, yeah, so so trying to do that around a build consensus and look at different stakeholders who are also passionate about fixing those same things. Mm. I think it's some of the sometimes what un, uh, undermines not what, what BCFB tries to do, but just sort of undermines the industry in general is a lot of different groups with sort of similar but you know somewhat related activities mm. but not working together. Mm. And then there's this fragmentation, and and it's hard and it's challenging, and it can be sometimes difficult to dip, bring different people together and say, like, well, hang on, if we just put, you know, put our oars in the water and all start rowing in the same direction, we'll actually get where we're going faster without mm. worrying about, you know, competition or who's doing water, trying to own space. So that's where that collaboration piece comes in. And that's something that we're trying to put way more emphasis on. Cause at the end of the day, us creating something and putting a bunch of time and effort into it to replicate what somebody else is already doing. Like, why mm. would we do that? How does yeah. that even benefit our members? It doesn't, yeah. we're spinning our wheels and yeah. we've got a small team, so let's not burn them out. So that's where, again, you know, you start reaching out to those other people and build those collaborations and build consensus. So, you know, selling, selling is those because you have to sell the value of, of why it benefits everyone by doing those sorts of things. So it's, it's an incredibly important skill. And like I said, you get, door slammed in your face selling fax machines you know you learn some very very important lessons about selling that's for sure you get a thick skin don't you yeah um you, do, you get a thick skin but you also learn i think the the most important lesson that i've ever learned in in my career was it's my first week on my job selling fax machines and my boss said to me he said no one ever listened their way out of a sale and he said you know there's 85 sales reps in that room and he said you watch them they'll sit down with a customer and they'll talk and talk, talk and talk yeah. about all the stuff that they can do yeah and usually they end up talking themselves out of a sale because they said oh i don't need all of that stuff i only need these three things so, so yeah. listen to what they need sell them based on that and don't do anything else so yeah it's was, it was, it was, it was always stuck with me all these years yeah i try and focus on two things in my role as well like you're only trying to do one of two things in sales and yeah. one of them is helping people achieve their goals 
or solve their problems. And if you can just find out what those problems or what their goals yeah. are, and if you've got a product solution fit, then it should be an easy and natural sell because people need it. So yeah, I agree. I, um, yeah, I'm really glad that you said sales because yeah, like I said, it's the position that I hold in life and, and it's something that I talk about quite a lot with you being so focused on the food and beverage industry here in BC uh, and with, you know, the uh, members of the association, <clears throat> do you look to other associations, um, other industries? Do you sort of look abroad to see what other people are doing to help solve problems that our uh, people that your members are finding and look elsewhere for inspiration or are you sort of solely focused on the industry here in BC? No, a great question. Um, yeah, and that, that's a big part of my job because you know I, I I work very closely with the other other provincial processing associations yep. and try to work with other associations here as well. You know, cer certainly where we have common interests and common goals, you know, around advocacy and things like that. So there's there's a lot of great organizations in uh, in BC and and then you know there's provincial pro processing associations right across the country, yeah. um, and then we actually all are part of uh, on a federal advocacy uh, group called uh, Food and Beverage Canada and led by Kathy. Sullivan and I'm on the board of that and I'm, I'm actually vice chair of, of Food and Beverage Canada. Right. Um, she'd be a, she'd be a great person to have on your podcast. Introduce as well, me. Actually. I'd love that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, but but through but through those relationships, you know, we do we we sort of do a lot around shared learnings and it's and it's unique because we're all in a very different space. Like what we do is quite different. There's some focus. There's some groups that focus entirely on advocacy. Mm -hmm. Then there's other ones that focus on um specific outreach or they'll have one or two big events and that'll be it and then what's quite common in the nonprofit world is um organizations deliver programs like funded by government and we were a bit unique that we don't really do that and and that was by design you know when i when i joined we didn't want to be reliant on government funds for a couple of reasons you know one just if we have a small team and we're spending a lot of our time and effort um you know, filling out RFPs and you come in second, you know, that's it. The opportunity cost was too big for us yeah. to invest that sort of a time for our members. Yeah. And, and then the other time uh, government, government programs are based generally on their objective objectives, not on, on industry's needs. Uh, and that's not a criticism necessarily, but there, there's gotta be that alignment there. So mm -hmm. we sort of made a conscious decision to do a lot, create a lot more just based on what our members told us they needed mm -hmm. and where there was alignment and it made sense to partner with the government, then we will do that. But there's a lot of times where that doesn't necessarily make sense. And we just go and create it ourselves. Whereas, you know, Early, but, but a lot of associations, that's all they do is they'll, they'll just, you know, they'll be contracted out different programs and a lot of what they offer is government. So, you know, there's not as many opportunities for alignment with them other mm -hmm. than, you know, they like to know how they can build other revenue streams beyond government funding, but nobody wants to have one revenue stream and, 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 uh, because we're gonna, we're gonna, because if we get crippled by that, then we're not helping our members at all. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, so having that sort of ability to be have a more sustainable financial model um so so we're a bit different that way but yeah everyone does different things and tries to launch different initiatives and sometimes even advocacy they have a unique approach or mm. uh you know so so we're always trying to do that and figure out what's going to add value and sometimes it's not about adding new things sometimes it's about reimagining i think mm. like our, our our calendar this year we've reimagined a lot of events food pro which we already mm. talked about is a perfect example of that we didn't yeah. scrap it or take a different idea we just decided to to reimagine it and make it more effective. So, uh, yeah. So sometimes, you know, seeing best practices and see what other people are doing well, it, it certainly helps because we don't want to have to reinvent the wheel and everything. It doesn't make any sense. And we're, we just don't have enough people to, 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 to burn, you know, doing that sort of thing. Yeah. How big is the team? 
Uh, so there's seven of us in total, That's and then incredible. we have a, and then we have a fractional CFO as well, who's well, she's part of the team too, but she's yeah. she's twelve hours a month, so she sort of works primarily with me on the financials and budget and audit and those sorts of things. But yeah, I've got a, a very passionate group. Um, yeah, they're amazing uh, group of women that I'm fortunate to work with, and obviously, and and you've met with Elisa and our, yeah. our CEO, uh, COO and and right hand, and and she's remarkable. And she's incredibly passionate. Um, you know, I think that's probably the, the most important thing she shares my my passion for the industry and helping mm-hmm. people. And, and she's our sort of front person. And she's so effective at working with our members and, and having an industry background as well. She, she really gets that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the rest of the team is just so, um, so amazing. We've got that point now where we can bring in people who can really specialize and focus. So between, you know, Kelly and Sumner and, and yes. uh, Sierra and, and, and yeah, and they're just a, an amazing group that, that, uh, you know, watching them grow as well and start to focus and, and make an impact in areas as we, as we grow, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting actually. It's really cool what you can achieve with a small team of, you know, passionate and engaged individuals, you know, when everybody feels as if they're at the table and they, you know, they're sitting in their seat and they're owning their space and they're at the right time in their lives. It's a, uh, there's nothing better than that feeling. Hey. Yeah, no, it is. And and our members are like, they're, they're great to work with, you know, mm. because you're, it's funny because it, you know, Sierra does our, uh, a lot of our communications and we do a lot of blogs and stories and you maybe seen cultivate magazine, which, mm. which, yeah. uh, which is, yeah, I mean, and Kelly designs, it makes it look amazing, but yeah, as Sierra was saying the other day, you know, sometimes writing this, writing stories and interviewing members is really easy because she can just sort of say, hey, you know, tell, tell us about your business. And, you know, she doesn't have to, she doesn't really it's have to ask It's the easiest job in the world, like this podcast. I'm just like, ask an entrepreneur about their business and life is easy, you know, like you right. don't need it's to the, do yeah, much. It's, it's, yeah, it's the easiest thing. It's probably the editing it down is probably <laughs> yeah, the trickiest part, it. right? But it's yeah. the feeling that passion, you know, that's that's yeah. the that's the awesome thing about the food industry because you just, you don't always find that everywhere and it's, yeah. and it's pretty rare. And, and, you know, entrepreneurs, they kind of look at their business as an extension of who they are and they look at their brand as an extension so of course they're going to care about it as much as anything right because they don't look at it as this you know investment opportunity or a path to get rich most of them that's not their inspiration at all so yeah no it's a lifestyle that's for sure mate if you had the opportunity to go back and whisper in your ear back when you were first getting started in the industry with the knowledge Mm. that you currently have now what would you tell yourself um, well, I kind of mentioned it before, but I'd say probably with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, you know, probably would recognize that this is where I belong. Because mm. as I mentioned, I, I didn't really even, I didn't make that click until I left the industry. Mm-hmm. And it sort of, it was probably not a bad thing. You know, things, things happen for a reason, I guess you could say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would say probably, you know, this, this is where you belong and this is where your passion is. But I was too young to maybe recognize that that's what I was passionate about. So I was just sort of seeking, I, I've always been drawn by challenges and new opportunities um, but, uh, yeah, that, that was sort of a big one. I didn't, I didn't quite realize that I couldn't pinpoint sort of the source of, of passion that I felt and realized that my, 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 the path that I was on was already probably somewhat subconscious, but I yep. would have been help, more helpful if I recognized that that was more what I was looking for all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of encourage people to step out of an industry to sort of, you know, give perspective and you sort of do realize what you're missing out on when you get an opportunity to do so. And, you know, one thing I've noticed over the years of working in many cafes and restaurants and, um, and so on is that, you know, people do get burnt out and people do get tired and they end up feeling really resentful and, um, about the industry. And I'm like, you got to step away from it, go and try your hand at something else. And they do find themselves gravitating back to it because of, you know, they do have perspective on what they love about the industry. And it's sort of almost a refresh or a restart is a really good thing to engage in at times, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. So yeah, let's mm. say that was, that was all by design and I planned it the whole way. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Mate, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? 
Um, great question. Um, I would say, um, I kind of mentioned how the last couple of years have been very turbulent. Um, and our team has grown and, you know, we sort of weathered the storm a little bit and we've, mm. we've grown, which I mentioned, and we've got this great team. I would say um, what success would look like is um, moving away from sort of reacting so much and trying to build stronger infrastructure. You know, mm -hmm. we, we actually had a planning meeting this week and the, the team made it pretty loud and clear that, you know, we've added new people, we've added new bodies, we're doing new initiatives and stuff like we really need to sort of do a bit of a reset. Let's let's better define role clarity and who's doing what and how we work together and how we stay organized. And, and uh, yeah, so, so there's some really, um, really important, um, you know, goals that we need to do sort of foundationally. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we always work backwards from what our members need. And, and, and I think we've kind of got a good plan for executing that. But I mm -hmm. think what would be a huge win for me is if we actually create a bit more of that infrastructure to make it easier for, for my team to, yeah. to, to do their job. Cause if they can do that, then it's going to support our members even more. And they're, mm -hmm. you know, again, it's, it's, we've got a, the new, the, the members always have to be at the nucleus of everything we do. So I think to me, if we can kind of accomplish some of those key foundational pieces, it'll just sort of, you know, sort of rebuild the engine so we can go faster and stronger and, uh, and do more. So uh, that's, that's to me, I think what personally would be what, you know, absolutely what we need to do and what I'm committed to doing. So. Well, that's really exciting, mate. And it sounds like you've got the right team on board to make that happen. So I'm really excited sure to do, see, yeah. you know, what happens over the next 12 months for you. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's uh, well, I've, I've never, uh, never had a boring day and I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever really looked at the clock, you know, to, to end it. So I, I hope that continues. I, I honestly never thought that would be the case. I mean, generally when I've looked at the, history of um you know sort of like nonprofit organization and industry associations there's generally seems to be this cycle uh you know and, and even when i took the job i remember I, I probably shouldn't have said it but i remember saying to the board that i kind of saw this as a five-year five-year journey where i'll probably have taken it as far as it can go yeah. and you know then it'll be time for some new ideas but you know the new ideas and the inspiration just keep coming so it's yeah. uh you know, uh, haven't, uh, yeah. So it's, it's good. Cause I, I didn't know that that would be the case, you know, yeah. almost eight years in, but, uh, it is, and, and still exciting and there's never a shortage of challenges. So, and, and no, no two days are ever the same either. That's probably the best part, right? I yeah, don't have absolutely. A, a boring routine is somewhat, sometimes I'd almost like more of a routine than I'm able to have. But. Yeah. Right. We're all busy, especially, you know, the mix and balance of family life and, or home life and work life. It, definitely is a balance. Hey, listen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. If anybody wanted to reach out, what's the best way? Uh, probably by email is always best. Uh, just james at bcfb.ca. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm yeah, more than happy to uh, to chat with anybody who needs help. And, and if I don't have the answer, I, I probably know somebody who does. So. Awesome. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for your time. I uh, greatly appreciate it. No, thanks again, Hayden. It was, uh, I really enjoyed myself. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. 